It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. We are in part seven of a series that Pastor Rick has entitled, Finding Joy in Our Journey. Today we're looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, in a sermon that he's entitled, A Superhero Faith. Here's Rick. Does anybody here wish that 20, 25 years ago you had bought stock in either Marvel or DC Comics? Because the rise in popularity of superhero stories is nothing short of amazing, and if you had had stock back then, it would have been very profitable. (laughs) But nobody's buying the old technology of printed comics that give us a storyline by paneled scenes any longer. Rather, the media of choice is what? It's the movie theater. And lines are long when a new installment comes out of your favorite superhero. Why is there such a fascination with superheroes? Why are we drawn to their fictional lives and their exploits? It's interesting, it's not just Christians that are making this observation, but non-Christians as well are understanding that it goes beyond just the sheer entertainment value of it all, but rather there is deep inside of us a heart yearning that they touch. We want aspects of their story to be our story. So, for example, they have moral clarity. You ever notice in the superheroes that they know what is right and what is wrong? There is little ambiguity in their world about the choices that they're going to be making and how we wish that life had less ethical confusion for us. And because our superhero has moral clarity, there's a second thing that our hearts yearn for that they have that wish we had, and that is that justice will prevail. Okay, sure, in the story with the superhero, there is going to be a battle. And maybe for a time in the story, the outcome is going to be uncertain. But at the end, the good guy wins, the bad guy loses, the woman is rescued, and family and friends are made safe. And in contrast, our world, justice appears to be an unsure outcome. Money political connections and agendas, backroom deals, often appear to win out over what is right and just, doesn't it? But when our superhero has moral clarity, and when they, when we know, when we know because of them justice will prevail, there's a third yearning that, that is touched within us, and that we would love to have their incredible powers to conquer our problems and our struggles. I mean, we are very much aware of our limitations and our weaknesses, and we are very aware of of the odds that are against us and the opponents that are against us. So who wouldn't want superior powers to be able to confront the difficulties and challenges that we face every single day? But did you know that not all superheroes are created equal? For example, let me just contrast two. How about Batman and Superman? Batman, rich, strong, 
And he's got a lot of cool gadgets, if you know any of his stories. So, But what he's able to accomplish comes from his external possessions and his inventions. Now, Spider-Man is different in that, yeah, he's a few accessories as well that at times he uses, but he is a superhero because he has spider powers. You know the story. He was bitten at some point by a radioactive spider. So his nature has been changed. He has a new power accessible to him, but it comes from within him. The reality of that is why this morning we're going to talk about having a superhero faith. Because we have been given a superhero faith. When we come to Christ, at the very moment we put our faith in Jesus, acknowledging our sin and accepting his saving work on our behalf, Jesus comes into us, not like Batman, but as like Spider-Man in that we are not given cool new gadgets to use that will make us successful, but rather something alien to us, something outside of us has entered into us and literally changed our very nature. We now have, a pow- we now have power and abilities that we did not have before. And that's why we cannot repeat to ourselves often enough, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, that therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a... New creation. The old has passed away. I'm no longer the person I once was. I'm new. So the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Okay, so why am I mentioning all of this? Well, because we have spent the last three Sundays in one of the most amazing paragraphs there is in the New Testament. It's a passage that highlights how humility can revolutionize every single one of our relationships. And then we, are sh- we were shown earlier in Philippians chapter 2 how that humility practically works by the model or the example that Jesus Christ gave to us in a model that is shown that there was a letting go, there was a change of role, and there was a yielding of control. And if we were carefully tracking with Paul through these verses, it is not unusual then for our response to be, Oh my, I couldn't do that. How can he ask that? Nobody I know does that. That's unrealistic. That's, that's unreasonable to ask for that kind of humility. And then if our wrestling with first, uh, I mean, Philippians 2 verses 1 through 8 was not hard enough, then somebody from the pulpit connects it with a very practical event in the life of Jesus Christ in John chapter 13. Hold your finger here in Philippians 2. We'll be back. But what does John 13 tell us? John 13, starting at verse 12. When Jesus had washed his disciples' feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, his place at the table, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I, then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. And what is our typical reaction to this kind of model of humility 
It's, I don't want to do that. See, I've walked with Jesus just enough to know he's talking about more than just washing somebody's smelly feet. Oh, no, he's, he's talking about more than that. And I don't want to do that. I mean, what if I get into a situation where I don't know what to do? Or worse, that I do something wrong? Or in serving others, that I start getting treated as a servant? I mean, how many of us are willing to be honest about our responses to these instructions about humility, whether it's John 13 or what we've been given here in Philippians chapter 2 so far? Are we willing to be honest to admit that there is a pride that runs so deep inside of every single one of us? That there's a self-centeredness that we battle with every single day that so easily dominates our attitudes and our choices that my ego seeks to push an agenda in every single one of my relationships with other people. So for those who are here this morning that clearly understand the place that humility is to play in our relationships with others, and you're overwhelmed by it because you do not know if you even want to go there, watch what Paul does. He reminds us of our superhero faith. Look at verse 12 of Philippians chapter 2. Look at the first word, therefore. I have a seminary professor that says, every time you run into the word therefore, ask, what is it therefore? It's there because it reminds us what I have just said now tells you why I'm going to say what I do next. So based on the instructions about humility that we have just been given, starting at verse 12, Paul says, now here's how we are to respond. We are to face what seems to be an impossible expectation by our superhero faith. And that first of all, means remembering that following Jesus is a life of progression. Verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, so now work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, everything in this first verse, everything in verse 12 revolves around that command, so now work out. And by the way, the command is literally asking us to continue to be working this something out. We never stop. It's not a one-and-done thing. It's ongoing every single day. So we are being asked to consistently be doing this. It is to be a process that is ongoing in our lives. So when it comes to following Jesus, the question is not, have I got it? But rather, am I progressively getting it? And Paul is very clear, look at verse 12, that it's a progression which asks for my cooperation. Specifically, we are to work out our salvation. Now, folks, clearly understand, he did not say work for my salvation. See, the concept of working out that he mentions here describes an action or or an effort that contributes to something being brought to completion. So, for example, think of a subcontractor who goes to a construction site, and it's his responsibility to install the plumbing. So when he installs the plumbing, that's part of of working to contribute to the overall project coming to completion. This is somewhat the same idea. And what are we to be working out? Our own salvation. Now, 
When you see that word salvation, don't think in terms of the moment that a person trusts Christ. And that is often the way the word salvation is used. It describes that moment when a choice, when a decision, when the transformation occurs. But it's also used in other ways. For example, Paul often will use it to refer to the journey of life of a follower of Jesus, that there's an aspect of our salvation that is continually developing. So, for example, he uses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, when he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those or to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, there's this sense of Paul using the word salvation as this process that's going on inside of us. Or here's another one for you, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So working out our salvation is putting into practice that which our salvation has already given us. So we've been given salvation, now we get to explore it and develop it all the rest of our lives. Okay, how do we do that? Great sounding stuff. How do we do it? Well, look back at verse 12. Notice that my cooperation is primarily through my obedience. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now work out your own salvation. You remember last week how we described... What is biblical obedience? Responding to instructions. And because I am a new creation in Christ, because something alien to me has come in and transformed my very heart, I now have the ability to respond to God's instructions from a heart that's been set free, and so I can look to God and say, yes. Whereas before, I always said, no, no. Now I've got the freedom to say yes to him. So as a follower of, of Jesus, then no longer is my behavior controlled by a motivation to try to please God. I'm already pleased by him. He's pleased with me already. And no longer am I motivated out of fear of what he'll do to me if I don't because his wrath has been taken away from me. But rather, I obediently work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Now stop right there, because unfortunately, those words can lead some of us to think of curling up in a fetal position and and crying out to God, don't hit me again. And those words, fear and trembling, are not describing an abusive relationship. Rather, you might want to put in there, because this is what Paul intends, to indicate awe and reverence. In other words, we're motivated to cooperate because we are stunned by what God has done for us in Christ and His unconditional love that has radically changed my life. Literally, I fall to my knees and say, wow, thank you. See, that's fear and trembling. This awe and reverence that we have. But even if this ongoing work that's occurring in me, asks for my cooperation. Notice in verse 13 that Paul points out that it's a progression, but it's not up to me. Isn't that interesting? We're asked for our cooperation, but at the same time, it's not up 
to me, verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Folks, what an encouraging truth. I mean, what an absolutely wonderful promise that we have there that God himself is involved in this ongoing work happening inside me. Fortunately, he did not say, okay, Rick, you're on your own. Good luck. (laughs) No, I am working out what God is working in. And the word that Paul uses for work is where we get our English word energy. So there is a divine, energizing person directing the work of, directing the work inside of each of the followers of Jesus Christ. And look at what God is working on. This is really important to see. For it is God who works in you first to will. That's literally my desire to obey. Which means we can be really honest with our Lord and tell Him when we just don't want to do what He says. By the way, do you think that that shocks Him? This is part of His work inside of us. He wants to help us desire to do His will. He knows we struggle here. That's why He's doing this work inside of us. So can I give you a secret? The next time you just don't really want to obey him, let that be a red flag. Stop and pray, Lord, will you help me want to want to? And then watch what he does. He's working even on our desires to be obedient to work out our salvation. But look at the second part. Not just is he working in us both to will, and then what's the second one? And to work for his good pleasure. Again, God is giving me and working inside of me that ability or the energy to obey. In other words, there are many times when being obedient is not a one and done. Every morning we wake up, we are faced in some areas with being obedient again in that very area. And God understands there are days when we just get weary of it. Again, don't overlook the overlying theme here. Following Jesus is a life of progression. We grow in it. We mature in it. We get better at giving him our obedience as we work out our salvation, that which he is working in us at the same time. To keep the superhero theme alive, uh, one of my favorites is the Disney superhero uh, movie, The Incredibles. You probably know it. You probably show it to your kids. You see it on TV. Mom and dad have superpowers. They're attempting to hide them. Uh, they've got three kids. At one point in the movie, like dad, like son, daughter, they discover they've got superpowers too. Suddenly they realize they have them, but they don't know how to use them well at first. And it's funny, it's problematic in in the movie, but they keep working at it. They are in process, and over time, they start to master their powers. 1 John chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Beloved, 
We are God's children now. But what we will be has not yet appeared. For we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Are we children of God? Yes. Are we perfectly there? No. We are in process. Working out what God is working in. Can you imagine what the church would be like if we really believed this and allowed it to impact our relationships? If we are all in process of working out what our God is working in, then not only can we admit, every single one of us, that we are not perfect, but we would stop judging and criticizing each other for not being somewhere. Rather, we would start coming alongside one another to support each other in the process and quit trying to fix each other. For we know that at times it's a struggle to even want to obey, let alone be consistent at it. So we would want to come along each, to each other and encourage each other, like in chapter 1, verse 6, to remind each other of what? That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That God has started this good work, and we all need brothers and sisters to come along us and remind us of that wonderful fact. That we're a work in process, but he's overseeing it and he will provide Imagine how that would change the atmosphere of any church if we believed this and practiced it. See, we have been given a superhero faith. Fundamentally changed on the inside by Jesus Christ to be a new creation. So that now when God's instructions, be it on humility or literally anything else, it appears to be daunting or overwhelming, I don't have to put pressure on myself to get it right, and I don't have to put pressure on others to get it right, and I don't have to act as if I'm all right. Instead, I can admit my struggle. I can admit my struggle with desire. I can admit my struggle with trying to be diligent in obedience and ask the Lord to help me move forward from where I am just at that very point. And then we give that to each other. Now notice how in Philippians 2, Paul moves on now to a second aspect of our superhero faith. Is it a life of progression? Yes, but there's something more. Notice starting at verse 14, following Jesus is also a life of demonstration. In other words, this work that God is doing on the inside of me will be seen in my behavior. How? Well, first, verse 14, it's demonstrated in our attitudes. So Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Notice Paul mentions two specific attitudes that are conclusive evidence of God's work in us. The first is the absence of grumbling. That's the spirit of complaining. It's verbalizing my dissatisfaction because my expectations are not being met. great example of this is Numbers chapter 17, where Israel 
grumbled before God during the Exodus, what was the specific issue? They didn't like the potluck that day. They were getting tired of the same old manna being delivered to them. And how are we like Israel? We grumble and question God's goodness. (laughs) Grumbling. There's a second attitude to consider, and that is the aspect or the absence of disputing. Now, disputing is a fascinating attitude in that it is being anxious over my circumstances that then leads me to doubt, argue, or challenge. Let me, let me play this out. Let me explain how this works. In other words, it's those times in our lives when things are not going well and we're tw- tempted to question God about His running the universe. Well, actually, we question God's running my universe is what it is. We argue with Him. And then we start arguing with others because we think they could have made better choices and it would have made my life better. See how this plays out? That's disputing. An anxiousness about my circumstances that gets me challenging, arguing um, with God and with others. Okay, now remember the context here. Back up again. Remember the context we're in. Paul has just finished speaking about humility in our lives. Grumbling and disputing are pride-driven attitudes. Grumbling is I know better. Disputing is I deserve better. But when I cooperate with and rely upon the progressive work God is doing in my life, it will be demonstrated by the absence of those two attitudes. Now, it's not just a demonstration of God's work is in, that I see. Notice starting in verse 15, it's also a demonstration to the world. Look at verse 15. So I do all things without grumbling or disputing that... You may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. See, like Paul, we too live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And yet when God is doing His work in us that we're cooperating with, then they will see the demonstration of it on on our outside through our behavior. Okay, now think about this for a moment. You may not think that you have a superhero faith. But you do. By what God has done... And by what God is constantly, currently doing in us, we do have the power and the ability to not grumble or to dispute in some very difficult places. And my friends, these are the same difficult places that the non-Christians around us also face. Let me give you some to think about. For example... How easy is it to grumble, argue, dispute when our health is a struggle? 
Sometimes it's just simply bad timing. I don't want to feel this way right now. I got things to do, places to be, people to be around, and yet we're sick. Or it's an ongoing sickness, a battle with a disease. Or what about what it feels like when we're in that never-ending season of child-rearing? I never realized the depth of my depravity until I had kids. (laughs) That's for another sermon. We'll go there another day. Or third, how easy to grumble and dispute when our income does not cover the expenses of that month or unexpected expenses shred our budget. How about when we experience the death of someone we love? Or we go through the loss of a dream that we have hung on to for years, or when we've been betrayed by someone we've trusted, or an accident occurs and it's injured us and now it's limited us, or we experience a setback in life. We weren't promoted. Our kids don't share our faith. Dear friends of ours move away. We took that new job and we now realize that was a mistake. We share those difficult things along with everybody else in this world. But when they see us go through these, without grumbling or disputing, they sit up and take notice because there's something unusual about us that is supernatural and they want to know why. And the gospel of Jesus Christ in us then becomes this compelling, attracting thing to them as we hold forth the word of life to them. And we shine in the darkness. And the world around us sees not just what we say, but how we live in those difficult times without grumbling or disputing. Folks, that is just literally the power of God in us that allows us to do that stuff. So following Jesus is a life that's demonstrated in my attitudes and specifically my attitudes in a watching world. But notice how Paul ends. He mentions third, that it's also a demonstration that creates joy. Joy. Look at this. Starting in the last part of verse 16. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, again, remember, where's Paul at this point? He's in Rome, but he's not staying at the Colosseum Hilton. No, he's in the palace prison. His life is potentially on the line for the gospel. So what does he have to be joyful about? Notice his joy is not based on his circumstances. I'm getting his comment... Excuse me, that his comment there in verse 17 about being a drink offering is the Old Testament picture of a sacrifice being made at the altar. And we often think that it was animals. And yes, typically that was, but sometimes it was grain. And sometimes, literally, it was a drink offering brought up and literally poured out by the worshiper. And Paul is facing the fact that his life may soon be poured out, meaning it will come to an end, given in sacrifice for his friends there in Philippi. So why is Paul rejoicing? Because he is seeing in his friends 
a life in Christ that is characterized by both a progression and a demonstration. It's a superhero faith, and he's going, yes! I mean, think of us as parents. Those of us who are in that row are grandparents. What greater joy is there than to see in your kids or your grandkids when the Spirit of God works inside of them and they've got a superhero faith? Man, there is almost no greater joy in the world than to see that kind of stuff. So Paul, like a father to a child, has invested his lives in this dear church. And so to see their ongoing growth and outward evidence of Christ, Christ's life in them, fills him with incredible rejoicing. And so we have been given a superhero-like faith. Something fundamentally and dynamically dramatic has changed inside of us. Now we've got the ability to work out what God is working in. And it will be seen by others and has the potential of, of, of creating great joy. And those deep yearnings that I mentioned at the front end? Because I am in Christ, because of Jesus Christ in me, I can have moral clarity. I will know what's right, what's wrong to do at any given moment. I can have hope that justice will prevail. Maybe not today. Maybe not this month. But one day, my Savior will make all things right and dry every tear from our eyes. As the good wins, as evil is judged, and as people are rescued. In the meanwhile, I'm being given both the inclination and the energy to meet the challenges of life. It's a superhero faith. So let me finish with Paul's, not Paul's, but we don't know. Well, it could have been Paul. It could have been Apollo. We don't know. But let me finish with the writer to Hebrews prayer that he concludes his book with because I think it's a great way to finish today. And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, You know how difficult it is for me, as it is for, I'm sure, my brothers and sisters here, too, to live in the reality of how you have changed us on the inside, and that makes all the difference. You know how we are so prone to want gadgets, to lean on externals, rather than the life of Christ progressively growing within us and then being demonstrated within us. Father, forgive me, and maybe others would join me in this prayer. Forgive us 
for when we put others on a performance-based standard that is not biblical. And therefore we judge, we criticize, we get negative. Instead of having the compassion of we're all a work in process. Instead of coming alongside with an encouragement when we know they're struggling to even want to obey, let alone be consistent at it. Lord, I am so grateful that you do that for me. Lord, would you now give me in your grace the freedom and love to give that to others? To believe that you are doing a good work in them that is pleasing in your sight. And to come along and be supportive of one another in that. Lord, I pray for those this morning that do not believe that there's a good work going on inside them. Oh, they know you. But the circumstances of life and maybe their own choices in recent days or weeks have led them to believe there isn't anything good happening in me. Father, would you encourage them that they have been given a superhero-like faith? And Father, would you give them a glimpse of the work that you're doing to keep them encouraged, to keep them looking to you, to trust you in areas where they may not see any movement or they wonder if it's ever going to change? Lord, we all have those questions. But believe the truth of your word that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so right now you are working on our wills and working that we might even have the energy. Father, ground us in your word on this today for a hope that's deep within us and then for a loving attitude and action that we give away to others, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.